the book of Exodus, is about redemption. God is redeeming his people, taking them out of the slavery that they're in, and they need to be rescued and bought back. And so that is the process we have been seeing through this book. And these plagues, again, is God going to war with the things that that make him upset, the things that are against him or contrary to him. And we've seen a spiritual lesson with every single one of these plagues that, uh, that shows us God's heart, that teaches us how we can not rebel against him, but how we can come under his authority, how we can do things the way he wants. And uh, so these plagues have been really enlightening, really uh, instructive for us. And, and uh, we're going to see again today more of that instruction. And so uh, let's pray, and then we'll, we'll ask the Lord to teach us through this uh, portion of the Bible. Jesus, we need you to, by your Spirit, open our hearts uh, and instruct our minds, uh, and Lord, change our will, our desires, to line up with you, to line up with yours. And Jesus, we ask that you would do this humbly because we can't do it ourselves, but we ask in faith and we believe that you will do it as we ask according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. So the lesson for today is that you cannot fake what's in your heart. You can't fake what's in your heart. We're going to touch on that many times through uh, the lesson today, but I wanted to just throw it out at the beginning. You can't fake what's in your heart. Chapter 9, verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For at this time, I will send all my plagues to your very heart. Underline those words, your very heart. And on your servants and on your people, that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. Now, if I stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, then you would have been cut off from the earth. So we're going to go verse by verse through this, and we're going to see just this idea and this theme develop for us right before our eyes. God says in that last part there, if I would have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, you would have been cut off from the earth. That is God's way of saying, Pharaoh, I could have easily killed you by now. I could easily have wiped you off the face of the earth, and I still might. That is what God is saying right there. And, and some people say, well, doesn't that violate our right to live? Pharaoh has a right to live and choose whatever life he wants to live, doesn't he? And the world we live in today has a, a, an idea just planted deep within their heart and their mind that I have, this is my life, and no one can tell me how I'm supposed to live my life. And if they do, they are violating the most basic human right, which is you get to pick how you live. But what is that? It's nothing but the lie that Satan told to Adam and Eve that people are still believing today. You can do whatever you want and disobey God and still live. I want to ask you this question. Do cancer cells have a right to live? No, we go around killing them. We run 5Ks to come up with ways to destroy them. 
Everyone has no problem killing cancer cells. And what are cancer cells except cells that rebel against what they're supposed to be doing? They're rebellious cells, right? They're supposed to be bringing life, living in submission to the order that God has put, and instead they are rebelling and causing death and destruction. And this is how humanity is as a whole. And God says, I I have every right to destroy you. But we're going to see, even though God has the right to destroy them, He's not going to totally destroy him yet. He's going to be merciful. He's going to be gracious. And here he tells us why he's gracious. Did you see it? It was what I told you to underline. He says, I'm giving you these plagues, and I'm, I'm, I'm coming against you, Pharaoh, because I'm after your heart. I know what's in your heart, and I am attacking your heart. I am dealing with your heart. God's purpose in all these plagues is the heart. And that is truly the focus of everything God does in your life. It's about your heart. What is in your heart? What is in your heart? No one can see it. Only you and God and not even you sometimes. Only God really can see in your heart. And everything God does, he does because he knows our hearts better than we do, and he has a purpose. He has a purpose. Look at our next text here. He says, but indeed for this purpose, I have raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be declared in all the earth. And as yet, you exalt yourself against me, my people, and against my people, in that you will not let them go. Behold, tomorrow, about this time, I will cause very heavy hail, that's our plague we're looking at today, to rain down such has not been in Egypt since its founding until now. So God says, listen, Pharaoh, I'm using, even your rebellion, I'm using uh, to show the rest of the world my power. Some people are like, I don't know how I can serve the Lord here in, in church, here at White Flag or whatever church you're at. And Well, take heart. Though you can at least serve as a bad example. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of Pharaoh right here. He is, he is showing, God is showing his power uh, through his rebelling, and eventually Pharaoh's going to be destroyed because he continues to rebel, and it's going to instruct the rest of humanity, don't be like Pharaoh. You know? But what do we do? We go and act like Pharaoh, don't we? Just doing our own thing, rebelling against God, where we could show God's power by submitting and surrendering to him. And you know what the, re- the, 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 the result of that is? Is blessing. You get to live a blessed life. You know, Maybe not lack of suffering, but you get to be blessed by God in everything you do. All right, so God says, I'm going to send a very heavy hail. This is crazy because in the book of Revelation, we see the plagues are repeated. All the plagues from Egypt come back in the book of Revelation when talking about the end of all things. And look what happens in the book of Revelation. We have hailstones, and it gives us the weight. It says 100-pound hailstones fall. Now, of course, this is going to happen tomorrow, the total eclipse, but uh, we have a day until then, so let's keep studying the word. And I'm totally joking. Uh, but what, what is this picture? Why are there these heavy hailstones? Well, 
Um, these are a picture and image of the wrath of heaven, the wrath of God. So, did you know that one of the deadliest hailstorms of all time killed 230 people and 16,000 sheep and goats in India? One hailstorm killed 230 people. Whoa, I thought that was crazy. And do you know hailstones cause nearly $1 billion of damage in the United States every year? And the costliest hailstorm of all time, do you know where it was? Right here in Denver. 1990, there was a hailstorm that, that cost the total damage here in Denver was $625 million. If you fast speed that up to today, it'd be $1.4 billion of damage right here in Denver. Most expensive hailstorm in world, uh, U.S. history, we could say. I looked up a whole bunch of others. You know, the, the biggest hailstone found in uh, Kansas, in, in, in the world so far, was in Kansas. It was 17 inches circumference and weighed 11 pounds. That's the biggest one we've seen so far. It blows my mind. There was a hailstorm in Fort Collins in 1979. Anyone remember that one? It lasted for 45 minutes. 25 people were injured by hitting on the head, and a, and a three-month-old baby died from being struck in the head as their mom was trying to carry her. Whoa, it's kind of sad. So, hail pictures the wrath of God. It, it falls from heaven, which in ancient times was very easy for them to figure out that that was sent from God. Um, so, our text now, we're going to get back, we're going to kind of Keep going, and we're going to see this theme develop, okay? It says, Therefore, send now and gather your livestock and all that you have in the field, and the hail shall come down on every man and on every animal which is found in the field and is not brought home, and they shall die. So here, before the hailstone, God gives a merciful warning. Oh, God is so angry and such a meanie face to bring this hail on the people. But God warned them. God gives a very clear, merciful warning. He says, listen to my word. And one of the biggest glimpses into our hearts, remember God said at the beginning, all my plagues are about your heart. One of the best glimpses into our heart is how we respond when God's word says something. When you are going through your daily life, and all of a sudden, God's word either pops up in your memory or you read it for the first time and it tells you something. The way you respond is like a, a, an x-ray into your very heart. The word of God, we're told in the New Testament, is sharper than any two-edged sword, right? And it pierces even to the heart, right? Yeah, it goes right into the heart. And here, look what happens. He says, if these people hear my word and they have faith in the word of God, what will happen? They will be saved. That's his word. That's so cool. You know that rainfall falls so uh, rarely in upper Egypt that the prediction of a severe hailstorm and a violent uh, electrical storm, which we have here also, is going to be greeted with a lot of skepticism, a lot of doubt. Because... Having faith goes against what we see. Always. Having faith 
goes against what we expect. And this is so important for you to understand, for us to understand. Having faith will not make sense. Hardly ever. Unless you believe the word of God is perfect without error and this is given directly from the tongue of God and is given to you and every word can be believed. If you don't believe that, following God and trusting him in the difficult times that are going to come will not make sense to you. And I like things to make sense. And I found that the only way this world makes sense with all its pain and all its suffering is when we believe the word of God explicitly. We never doubt it. And we say, this is all I need. But it won't make sense if we look at the world around us, if we try to make sense of the suffering outside of the truths of the word of God, if we try to figure out what's wrong with ourselves. None of those things will work. It says we walk by faith and not by right. And this is hard. We are not conditioned to live by faith in this world that we have grown up in. And every single one of us have been conditioned that you watch where you're going, you think about the future, and you make steps so that the future doesn't come and surprise you. And God says, I'm sorry, you can't live like that. You can't. A man, he he fell off a cliff, but he managed to grab a tree branch on his way down. And he's hanging there. And the following conversation ensued. Is anyone up there? I'm up here. I'm the Lord. Do you believe me? Yes, Lord, I believe. I really believe, but I can't hang on much longer. Well, that's all right. If you really believe, you have nothing to worry about. I'll save you. Just let go of the branch. And a moment of pause, and the man said, Is anyone else up there? God asked him to let go of what he understood, to let go of what made sense, and instead to trust the word that he said. God gave him a promise, a word, and God cannot lie, right? So if God gives you his word, he cannot lie. But we don't believe because we can't see it first. This is very difficult. So look at what happens in our text now with the people there in Egypt. He says, He who feared the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his livestock flee to the houses. But he who regarded the word of the Lord did not regard the word of the Lord uh, left his servants and livestock in the field. So fearing the Lord here is basically the same as faith or trusting in the word of God. And fearing the Lord or faith produces action. Oh, I fear the Lord. I, I have trust in the Lord. Well, why don't you do anything that resembles serving God or anything right? You see, that kind of faith is not real. But he says, those who trust in the word of the Lord, even when the word of the Lord is a warning, are blessed. That's what we're seeing explained here. Warning is loving. 
Warning is loving. And God's word is full of warnings, isn't it? But when you heed his warning, you're accepting his love. I'm going to say that again. When you heed his warning, when you listen to the word of God and all its warnings, you're accepting his love. When you say, I don't think God's warnings are real and I don't think, I think he's just giving them so that my life is not as fun. I mean, he warns me against getting drunk, but how can I have fun if I don't get drunk? He warns me against illicit relationships, against relationships, sexual relationships outside of marriage. How can I live the life I'm supposed to live if I listen to these warnings? Well, God loves you. And he's given these warnings because he loves you. Every single one of his warnings are motivated by he's just a party pooper and doesn't want you to have any fun. No. His deep and real love. Colossians 1.28 is a verse we need to look at when we see this. Colossians 1.28 says, Him we preach, Jesus, warning every man, and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ. You know, part of sharing Christ, as you guys are going to do in Ireland and as we're supposed to do here in Denver, is warning them against rebelling against Jesus. You can't just preach, God is love, God is love, God is love, without the truth that God is angry at sin, that God is grieved by sin and God's wrath must be upon sin and sinners. He is right to do that. It doesn't matter if he loves me if I can't be separated from him by my sin anyway. I'll just be with him no matter what, no matter how I act, no matter what behavior I'm involved with. If I can do anything I want, then he and he can just accept me, then he is not loving and he is not righteous. He is instead an annoying roommate who just wants to cling to me all the time. And he doesn't let me have, he doesn't care about how I live my life. He just wants to be with me so much, he doesn't care what I'm doing. And we don't like annoying roommates, do we? <laughs> I love the surprising amen. There you go. (laughs) No wonder people aren't attracted to the gospel of love, check it out, and grace when they don't understand God's glory, power, and righteousness. He seems like this weird guy that just wants all this stuff from me. Instead of a holy God who says, life is only found with me and I have provided a way for you to be with me, but I'm not forcing you. You can live your life, and I love you deeply. And I have provided more, I have paid a higher price than you could ever understand by sending Jesus to die on the cross for you. But I'm not going to force you because I love you and I respect you too much to make the decision for you. You must choose Christ for you. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand towards the heaven, that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, and on man, on beast, on every herb of the field, throughout all the land of Egypt. 
So Moses stretched his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire darted to the ground, which is lightning. And the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt, and so there was hail, fire mingled with the hail, so that very heavy, uh, and very heavy, so that there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since the beginning of a nation. And the hail struck all throughout the whole land of Egypt, and it was in the field, and both man and beast. And when the hail struck every herb of the field and broke every tree of the field, in the Bible and, and in the ancient Middle East, when something came from the sky, it came from heaven. And so when rain came and watered their crops, people gave thanks to God or whatever God they were worshiping up in heaven. And so this, for these people, it clearly represented God's anger at the Egyptians. And not a single one of them was thinking, oh, wow, we're having a huge storm because of El Nino. (laughs) Or, Or it's global warming. We have too many cows. That was good, right? That was like, if you know science and the methane, yeah, that was right there. Or these weird weather patterns we're having today, wow. No one thought that way in the world, nobody. In our world, we're like, hmm, interesting storm. Oh, I wonder, you know, how El Nino is, but they were direct, this was directly from God. And, and they thought about God, and they thought about, am I, not, am, I, am I pleasing God? Am I not pleasing God? What is my relationship with God? What is God's purpose in this? And that question cracks into all their hearts. Each time the thunder booms, it's like right in their hearts, and they're like, am I really going to keep fighting against this God? Am I really going to keep rebelling against this God? Well, well, fast forward to the end of the story. You know some Egyptians actually went with the Jews and became Israelites because they didn't want to fight against this God anymore. Their hearts were softened. That's cool. Then it says, Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, there was no hail. And Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, Check out what Pharaoh says right here. I have sinned this time. This time, bro? The Lord is righteous, and my people and I are wicked. Oh, so impressive. And then he says, Entreat the Lord that there may be no more mighty thundering and hail, for it is enough. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. And Moses said to him, As soon as I've gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord, and the thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants... I know you're a joke. He says, I know that you will not, you do not yet fear the Lord God. He says, I know you are faking it. Moses has a spiritual understanding of the situation. And Moses says, I know you're faking it. But look what Pharaoh did. Pharaoh fakes his repentance. I told God I was sorry. Why did nothing change in my life? He faked his repentance. But, but as we read it, it sounded right. I mean, he, he said some really nice things. He said, the Lord is righteous. I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous and my people are wicked. Isn't saying those words the right thing to do? I mean, doesn't 1 John 1, 9 say, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness? It does say that. But it's not true, real, 
sincere. It's not from the heart. True repentance produces change. Okay? It's not a momentary turning to God, but it's an enduring lifestyle change. That's what repentance really looks like. Real repentance. It'll have the words, but it'll also have actions that back up those words. It'll be like the people who brought their cows in to their houses so that they didn't die. They believed the word of God. It produced action. Acts 17.30 is a great verse that says, Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Repent. And God's command is that everyone repents truly and really from the heart. Not say that you've repented. Have you, I'm not asking you to raise your hands, but have you ever faked it for a while? Have you ever, on the outside, acted like you would repented, but in your heart it wasn't real and you really wanted to keep doing the thing that you were supposedly repenting from? God commands everyone that it has to be from the heart. You need to repent, but it has to be from the heart. He says, all men everywhere must repent. No one can fake it ever. No one, not a single person, can fake it. And there's pastors, I'm telling you, there are pastors in this city and every city who are faking it. That they know the word of God, they know how to cleverly speak the word of God, but it's fake in their heart. And I don't know who they are all the time, but God does, and he says it's unacceptable. It is unacceptable. Luke chapter 15, verse 7, Jesus says, I say to you likewise that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 persons who need no repentance. God not only commands that he repent, he is super-duper happy when we repent. He loves it when we repent from the heart. His goodness leads us to repentance. So the natural question we need to ask before we're done is, how do I know if my repentance is real? Maybe you're in here today and you're thinking, all right, I'm hearing you, it needs to be real. How do I know if my repentance is real? If you're in here today and you're like, I don't want to repent, I don't like repenting, I'm glad you're here, but you are not going to heaven at this point in time because God's set word demands that we repent and say, I'm wrong, God, you're right, I have not done right, and I confess that. Now, if you are in here and you say, I repent, how do I know that it's real? Well, that's a great question, so we're going to try to ask uh, some questions, but we're going to see a problem with all these questions because they always lead to another question. So we can say, am I doing good? And then I'll ask you, but is your good fake? Are you faking it? You could say, okay, well then, am I humble? Well, are you faking your humility? How do you know that you're truly humble? How do you know that your works are really good. So to be really completely sure, we have to stop asking these questions. We can never have true assurance uh, because these questions always 
take the attention away from Jesus and onto something else for our assurance. In other words, the only way we can really be sure that we know the Lord and that we're going to heaven is when we say, I've asked Jesus to save me. And that's it. That's all I trust. That's all I believe is that he'll save me. And then we get the question, well, am I doing everything that's right? Well, I don't know. I mean, are you faking it? Are you, do, you're not measuring up. Well, am I, am I totally humble enough? Do I, what is going on here? Anytime our eyes fall from Jesus and what he did on the cross to what I do, we're not going to have the assurance that we're looking for. We're not going to have it. Our assurance comes from looking at Jesus and believing, yes, he will save me. Why? Because I asked him to. I asked him to. And the faith comes when I believe that he will do as I've asked. What he instructed me in his word, that's what faith is. He told me to repent. I repented. And all I can do is now look at what Jesus has done for me. He is sufficient for me, and it's not the other way around. We are not sufficient for him. He is sufficient for us. We are the most sure when we're looking at the cross. And every one of us have doubts, right? Anyone never had a doubt? I doubt. Everyone doubts. But when we look at the cross, we see this magnificent, perfect sacrifice that's even good enough for me and in our hearts we can trust that we're the most troubled when we look away toward ourselves and toward our problems and towards our circumstances and oh i don't know i don't know i doubt oh my goodness but nothing can overcome the power of the cross nothing now look at the next part of our verse here now flax and the barley were struck this is what they used for food but the barley, for the barley was in the head and the flax was in the bud, but the wheat and the spelt were not struck, for they are late crops. And I looked at this verse and I was like, I have no idea why this is in the Bible. And then I thought about it and I prayed and I just saw that this is God's mercy, that he doesn't destroy all their food. He could have destroyed it all, but the Bible makes it clear, even though God was judging them with this hail, that he still left them some food but he was going to make it, it hurt. They didn't have their bellies filled all the time. They had to wait a little while. And in that pain and in that suffering, God was saying, are you, going to, are you going to keep rebelling against me? Are you going to keep running away from me? Or maybe you could start to trust me. Maybe you could start to believe me. And as they waited for these new crops to grow, God is working in their hearts saying, trust me, believe my word, look at what's been fulfilled. Everything I've ever said has been fulfilled. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and spread out his hands to the Lord. And the thunder and hail ceased, and the rain was not poured on the earth. And when Pharaoh saw the rain and hail and thunder, he had ceased, he sinned yet more, and he hardened his heart, he and his servants, because he was fake. His repentance was fake, right? So the heart of Pharaoh was hard, neither would he let the children of Israel go as the Lord had spoken. Okay. Jesus is here today, and 
I can't see inside your heart, but he sees it. He sees it. And I'm not, I can't see your sin. I'm looking at you guys as pure white little sheep. You've never done anything wrong. I believe it. I love you guys. But God sees everything. And his love for you, he calls and asks every single one of us to repent, truly, to believe his word, and to look only to the cross and say, that is the only way that I am saved, is by what Jesus did for me on the cross. And this can be renewed every day in your life. So don't think just because you've been saved for 300 years that you don't need to to live in this type of place. We live in this wonderful place that we repent every day. That we, we can learn that our hearts are deceitfully wicked above anything we could imagine. And every day we wake up and there's this whole new big cobweb inside there that we didn't know about. And we can just repent. And a lot of times the Lord will gently remind us and he'll gently bring these um, trials into your life, these maybe plagues. And you're like, why are things so difficult for me all of a sudden? But then the Holy Spirit convicts us of, why is it so difficult for you to trust me? Why is it so hard for you to honor me in this difficult time? And the answer to that is not by saying, well, if you wouldn't give me this difficult time, then I wouldn't have to act nice. No, the correct response is, I repent. I had something in my heart I didn't even know. I didn't know how I'd respond. God already knew how you were going to respond. He knew you were going to be a jerk. And he said, child, I love you, but I'm going to bring this into your life to show you how much you need me. And I'm not going to let you live your life thinking you're super close to me when I want you closer and there's sin in your heart that I can take care of right now. And so what we do is we call out to the Lord in faith and humility and repentance. And we say, Father, I believe in you and I trust in you. And I know you guys have been sitting here a long time, so let's stand up. We're going we're gonna to sing one more song unto the Lord and we are done for the day. During our last song, we always have, well, most of the time we have communion available. And uh, what that's for is so that you can talk to Jesus directly about what we just talked about. I don't care if you listen to me one bit. I don't care if you tuned me out. I don't care if you fell asleep. I don't care. I don't care. I love you guys, but I wasn't, it's, it hurts my feelings not at all if you listen to me. But Jesus, his Holy Spirit is here and he's calling, he's knocking on the door of our heart and he says, respond to me. Confess your sins to the Lord and he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I don't know who this is for. I mean, maybe you're just like, I'm humble before the Lord and I don't know who you're talking to. Great. But I know in my heart, I need to be reminded to repent daily. When I read the Psalms and it's like, repent, and I'm like, I know, I need to repent. It feels good to truly repent because my eyes get back onto Jesus on the cross. My heart is healed in invisible ways that I can't even understand. So as we sing this song called Second Chance, just remember God is allowing you to truly repent from the heart today.
And I hope that you take advantage of that. As we, as we go to the, to the bread and you crack, you, you chew on that, you remember Jesus' body being uh, broken for you on the cross. You remember his blood being poured out on the cross. And that is where all healing is, guaranteed. Jesus, we love you, but we don't love you as much as we should or could. Lord, we need to believe your word more than we do. And God, I pray that there would be a deep move of your spirit in our hearts today, and I pray there would be deep humility in us as a response, and we would believe all that you say. Jesus, we want to be cleansed by you and you alone. We want to be healed by you.